Are you dedicated? Are you really dedicated to worship, Bible study, and fellowship? In John 13, Jesus tells us that the world will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. Are you dedicated to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ and building up a community that shows the world how good God is? I want to challenge us to be a community of love that shows the world how good God is. Are you dedicated? Thank you, Luke, for sharing that word with us today. We know this fall here at First Baptist Arlington has been given to this conversation, rededicate. And we have been studying together 1 Corinthians, and it has been a very fruitful time for us. We began this journey on September the 4th, so we have been in this conversation for a couple of months now, and um, I hope that it's been meaningful to you. I want to say a word of thanks again to Kurt Grice, who put this booklet together for us. I know many of you have gotten a copy of it, and it is a guide to help all of us learn better how to study the Word of God, to engage in exegesis and hermeneutics and application of the Scripture to our lives. And it's really, it transcends just 1 Corinthians. It's, it is really a tool to help us learn how to just study the Scripture together. And we have been exploring 1 Corinthians deeply. We have a podcast, obviously, that we've talked about on Wednesdays at noon. We gather for a Bible study here at our church that I lead, and we've been studying 1 Corinthians together. Just want you to know, those of you who come to that, we're going to finish 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning today, but we'll continue our conversation on Wednesdays, and we'll make our way through the rest of this letter. There are still a handful of controversial verses I know you've asked me about, and I promise you we'll get to those here in the next couple of weeks as we finish up 1 Corinthians on Wednesdays. Well, today, you know, was an emphasis that we have been calling. We have a place for you, and it's really not just um, today. It's just the truth. We have a place for you in Bible study, in worship. You know, we're trying to continue to climb out of this pandemic, and uh, it has been challenging. I told the folks at 830 this morning in worship, I shared with our staff already that I would not say that the pandemic has changed everything, but I would say that it's affected everything. It's just affected people's lives. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Blanco, Texas. Have y'all ever been to Blanco, Texas? We found, I was doing a wedding there, and we found in Blanco, Texas, an Italian gelato creamery. Now, if I can say this respectfully, there's probably not a genuine Italian within 100 miles of Blanco, Texas, who would even understand what a gelato creamery is, but there's actually a really good one there, and we were visiting with the man that owned the place. I asked him, how did you get here? And he said, well, it's interesting. He said, I'm from the valley, and I've lived there my whole life on the border, and he said, and I always dabbled in goat farming. Our family did. He said, and finally I took the plunge and I took everything I had, all my life investment, and we've opened the goat farm that I dreamed of running my entire life growing up. And we opened in February of 2020. And consequently, the pandemic hit, lost everything. And he said, now 
I've moved my family to Blanco, Texas, and I'm running this Italian gelato creamery shop. And I thought, my goodness, this pandemic, who knows how many lives it's affected and people moving their families and changing their jobs. And also we've had deaths in people's families because of it. And we know that. And so I would tell you, as a church, we're still trying to find our way through it, taking it seriously as we need to, but looking for the path beyond us. I want to thank you for your faithfulness as we are making our way through this interesting season in our world's life experience. With that said, today we're going to bring this conversation on 1 Corinthians to a conclusion. We'll look at the 15th page of 1 Corinthians. We'll turn a page. Next month begins our annual emphasis on missions. And our theme for missions is going to be reclaim as we look at how God is reclaiming everything that's been lost because of the sinfulness and brokenness of, of humanity. And uh, we are going to study the Bible together in those uh, Sundays in Missions Month. We have Great Commission Council members. That is the entity that helps us determine our strategy for mission. They have written Bible study materials for us, so we're going to study together as a church family over these next three weeks, starting next Sunday, um, our understanding of God's call to mission for our church. We're going to have an interactive, immersive display in our welcome centers that will help you better understand what our church is doing missionally, so we're looking forward to that. With that said, let's look at today's lesson. I've entitled the message today, Rededicate victory. And we'll look at the last part of 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, why don't you look at that with me? We'll begin in verse 50. Let's hear what the scripture says. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, when I began in ministry many years ago, in many ways, the world was very different. When I think back on our call to ministry, and when we answered that call and left Alabama and moved to Fort Worth, Texas to attend Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Back then, there was no Saddleback. There was no Willow Creek. 
I'm not even sure that Joel Osteen had even been born yet, to be honest with you. But there certainly was no Joel Osteen as we know today. There was no internet then. There was no uh, social media. There were no digital libraries. Um, There was no Wikipedia. Um, No such thing as a digital footprint. In fact, when we registered for classes in seminary in those days, we didn't register online, we registered in line, is how it worked. <laughs> and back then, Billy Graham was probably at the pinnacle of his world influence. He was known in those days as the leading voice, if you will, of evangelical Christianity. And Billy Graham is one of my heroes. Uh, My wife was converted under Billy Graham's preaching. Our daughter gave her life to Christ when we showed a Billy Graham film at our church in Garland, Texas. And millions of others responded to that invitation to receive Christ under his preaching. Well, when I arrived in the seminary and began ministering the church in America, I think you could have easily categorized the church this way. There were two basic strands of the expression of Christianity in America in those days in the early 80s. On the one hand, you had one side of Christianity that was much more known for its social gospel application. There was a whole strand of Christianity in those days, if you will, in America, that primarily was known for taking care of those who were less fortunate. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for those who were in prison, and basically addressing the social ills, if you will, that affected people's lives. You had another branch of Christianity that was much more well-known in those days. It was the more revivalistic, evangelistic type of Christian expression. Uh, that was the strand in which I was reared. That was the strand of Christianity that was known for its public proclamation of the gospel. We had revivals in those days in the churches in which I was reared. We had preachers like Junior Hill and Angel Martinez and other evangelists who came to our churches and preached the gospel. We, we had church on Sunday nights. No, we did, seriously. We came back to church on Sunday night, as shocking as that sounds, and we invited our lost friends to come, and our pastor would preach an evangelistic message on Sunday evenings, and we had people who gave their lives to Christ at our church on those Sunday nights. There was a proclamation of eternal salvation in those days. They focused on spiritual matters. The strand of Christianity in which I was reared, it proclaimed a gospel of both heaven and hell. It had a confrontational edge to it. And so the critique of that strand of Christianity in which I was reared, people said this about us. They said, you know, that group of Christians, they are too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. Y'all remember that? criticism. These people were so focused on heaven, talking about my strand of Christianity, that they didn't have much to offer you 
here on this earth? Well, let me just say, today it is very different. The cultural, societal, and religious milieu in which I find myself today is vastly different than when I began this ministry many years ago. The church in America today. I'm not sure what the church in America actually believes anymore. I'm not sure how many American people believe in heaven or hell, for that matter. I'm not even really sure how many American Christians believe in heaven or hell, for that matter. I would say this, the church in America is as affluent as it has ever been in our history. And yet, I would argue and contend from my perspective, I believe that the American church is in an identity crisis. I think this is a profound moment in American Christianity. My PhD is in church history, and my area of focus was American Christianity back in those days. And I would tell you, I believe that we are in a profound moment, because what I see in American Christianity is a profound movement toward accommodation and acceptance of all things. Perhaps this is most notably displayed in the conversations around human sexuality and gender. It is fascinating to me what I hear from many American Christians and Christian leaders concerns me. It almost reminds me of these all-inclusive vacations that you get invited on to participate in that just, you just, everything comes, everybody's welcome, you don't have to change anything, no matter what, it's all blessed and welcomed and affirmed. That's what I hear from many in American Christianity today. And my concern is that the church in America is losing its prophetic voice because we send a confusing message to this culture that everything is okay. Whatever you do, it's fine. If it's right for you, it's okay. There's really no such thing any longer as something that is right or wrong. It's just whatever suits you. And if you feel blessed in it, we will affirm you. We will even help you live into it if that's what you need. Because after all, that's why the church is here, to just help you feel better about who you already are. I would contend, when I began this work, you might could have made the, made the judgment that the church was so heavenly minded, at least one branch of it, it might not have been earthly good. I would say we are now in the opposite place where the church has become so earthly minded, I'm not sure how much heavenly power we have any longer. It's concerning to me. So what do we do? Well, I'm not the resident expert of what should happen in American Christianity, but I would tell you what I intend to do as the pastor of this church. My suggestion is we return to the real story because I'm convinced that the real story that is communicated through the Holy Scriptures, 
that is corroborated and celebrated by some 2,000 years of Christian witness is the most beautiful and compelling story that's ever been told. And I am determined to communicate that story, to make sure that we know that story. So let me just offer you a glimpse into 2023, if you'd like to know where we're headed as a church. Our theme for 2023 is why does it matter? Which I think is a profound question for our day. Why does anything matter? And we're going to lead our church in 2023 primarily along two tracks. One of those is going to be an apologetic track. So we're going to spend some time in 2023 focused on apologetics. In other words, learning what we believe, growing in our understanding of what we believe, why we believe it, deepening our knowledge about our beliefs. While we are engaged on that track, we're also going to be invested in an evangelistic track. In other words, proclaiming what we believe, sharing what we believe, being more intentional about communicating the truth of this story. So on the one hand, we're going to explore the story itself and how it has been communicated through the scripture, revealed to us most fully in Jesus, blessed by 2,000 years of the history of Christianity in its best expression, and then how we can take that story and tell that story to a culture that needs to know this story so their lives can be transformed by it. And we're going to use the Gospel of John as our guide in 2023. I'll confess that's a little bit new for me much as I love John, I love all the scripture, but I have a, a historian's mind, and so Luke has always been my personal favorite. Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and we are greatly indebted to Luke. Amen? Listen, if you get to glory before I do, tell Luke I will be looking for him when, we, when I get there just to tell him thank you. Thank you for putting all this material together. Thank you for doing so much research. Thank you for telling us the rest of this story. Thank you for writing this down. Thank you for interviewing these people. Thank you for being a really good historian. But then, John, what a different storyteller is John. Think about it. John, powerful communicator, but he sees things through a completely different lens. So with that said, I want to go ahead and introduce us to just a glimpse, if I may, into 2023. And I want us to do a little theology today from an apologetics perspective. And here's the topic I want you to think about with me this morning, heaven. I want you to think with me this morning about heaven. I want to ask you to answer this out loud, but I want you just to think about it in your mind. When you think of heaven... What comes to mind for you? Think about it. Just, just immediately, like I said, not out loud, just in your mind. Because whatever you immediately think of, it's quite telling. When you think of heaven, what's it going to be like? Do you know for many people, many Christians, when they think of heaven, they imagine that there's just going to be this, this space, if you will, where there's going to be all these disembodied spirits just 
I don't know, floating on clouds, perhaps, um, in this uh, ethereal, abstract space. Maybe, maybe we even become angels. We sprout wings and we can fly, hence there and yonder. And what are we going to do there? Well, we're going to be in the choir loft for eternity, right? We, we, we will just sing our way into eternity, or chant, if you will, and, and you will get to go to the service you like. You'll get to, you finally are going to get to hear what you've so longed to hear all these years, and it will just soothe your soul, and we think, that's going to be heaven. Seriously? We're going to just be in a choir and sing for eternity? For some people, that sounds like the opposite place than the other. What is it about us? And how did we get there? How did we have this view that we're just going to be somehow floating, bored? Because all the cool people are going to be in hell playing pool and smoking cigarettes and just chilling with one another, right? And there we're going to be. With all the people who never had any fun on earth, how's it going to be any fun in heaven? I mean, we, and we wonder why nobody wants to go there. We paint such a compelling story. You don't want to miss this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is that really what Jesus came to offer us? Well, when you read the Bible, it appears to me that the Bible tells a much different story. It doesn't answer all of our questions, but it, it paints enough of the landscape for us to be able to understand and somehow connect to. In fact, I would tell you, I think the Bible tells a much more profound story about heaven. It is a story of restoration. It is a story of renewal. As a matter of fact, what did John say in the book of Revelation? John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, he said. I saw both, a new heaven and a new earth. He said, as a matter of fact, I saw a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, he says, and there was this merger, if you will, this, this union that is unprecedented now. It is in our future where heaven and earth actually come together in this eternal connection, and human beings are going to be present there. And here's the thing you need to know about human beings. Human beings have been created by God and uniquely designed by God in these bodies for an earthly existence. But I I want you to also know that you've been recreated by God and he is going to provide for you new, restored, resurrected bodies that are uniquely designed for an eternal existence on that new earth as heaven and earth collapse together. That's where we're headed. Now, how do I know that? What's the key that unlocks that door? Well, the key, without a doubt, is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to us understanding this. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, he says this about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, the resurrection is not just a surprise, happy ending for one person. It is instead the turning point for everything else. I could not agree more. You see, you and I, if we're not careful, we undersell if that's possible, 
the resurrection of Jesus. And it's like we, we don't quite grasp the import of what happened. Well, let me just see if I can help us all understand it this morning quickly. If you still have your Bible open, look back with me at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 12. Now, Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth. Some of them are struggling with the material, the spiritual, which is best. Do you have to have both? Isn't the spiritual superior to the material? There's all kinds of philosophical arguments that were made in the ancient world. Continued influence us this day. But look at verse 12 of chapter 15. Paul says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, interesting word in Greek, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says if Christ was not resurrected from the dead, if all he was was just a good teacher, a good guy, who kind of understood life, who offers you some good advice about how you can just be a better person, but he just died. Paul says, if that's all Jesus was, just a good moralist, someone that you can just base your life on his teachings, he said, we are of all people to be most pitied. But then he says, look at verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What does Paul mean by that? Well, here's what Paul means. He means this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't change some things. It doesn't change most things. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Nothing can ever be the same again because this has never happened before. Now, people have been resuscitated from the dead. True. Even in the Bible, they were Lazarus, Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son. They, they were all raised from the dead. But guess what they did? They went on and died, not Jesus. Jesus wasn't resuscitated from the dead. Jesus was miraculously, powerfully, gloriously resurrected from the dead to never die again. Unprecedented in all of history, and it changes everything. And so you and I have to see the world that way because you see, here's how it works. The world was created through the word of God. God spoke it all into existence. The Bible says, and God said, and there was, and God said, let there be, 
and there was. You read in Genesis 1, it's the very word of God that creates everything that is. And then the story unfolds and the sinfulness and the brokenness of humanity are introduced and this world goes awry. This world lives under the curse because of the sinfulness of humanity. This world is longing for, the Bible says in Romans 8, groaning for even creation, its day of redemption. And so guess what happened? At some point, God finally said, enough, I'm going to answer this personally. And so just like the Word of God created, made everything that is, the Word of God has come now to recreate everything anew and afresh. That's why John says in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. Hearkening back to Genesis 1, when God's word was so powerful, spanning out across all the nothingness and bringing everything into existence, and now in the midst of the brokenness and the separation and the darkness of humanity, the word of God has arrived again, this time to recreate, renew, reconcile, and resurrect all that's been broken, lost, and has died. John tells us about it. All the gospel writers do, but John in particular. Think about John's gospel. You get to John page 13 and you're already in the last week of the life of Jesus. He compresses three and a half years of the life of Jesus in 12 pages. You get to page 13, he's already in the last week. 13 all the way through 21, just that last week, that's, John's telling you, pay attention to this week. Where did John start his gospel? In the beginning. And in the beginning was the first week. Come on now, y'all still with me? In the beginning was the first week. God brought it everything into existence. John now says, pay attention to this week. This week. Watch this one. Be careful. Make sure you're listening. This week starts this way. On this first day of this week, the word of God makes his way to Jerusalem. Triumphant. Seen as King Hosanna, son of David. But the week unfolds and Jesus is in Jerusalem and he, he teaches and he preaches. He gives insight and wisdom. And then on Thursday of this week, on Thursday, he's betrayed. Once again, a signal. How broken is this old world? How, how far astray are we? How, how lost are we? The very son of God, the very... Word of God, the very revelation of God, how bad is it? Even he is betrayed by one of his own, handed over to his own people, and they turn him over to the pagans. How bad is it? And on that Friday, all of creation sighs. And in the middle of the day, dark. And the Son of God, the word of God offers up his life, and he is dead. How does this week end? How did that first week end? God rested after he saw all he had done. He looked at the splendor of the display of his majesty, and behold, it was very good, and he rested. How does this week end? The son of God, silent, in a borrowed tomb. But oh my, come on, y'all. That's not where this story ends. There's a new week. <laughs> There's a whole brand new week. 
In fact, in John's gospel, John 20 says it twice. On the first day, two times, he makes make sure, don't miss this one. John says, there, there's, a whole, there's a whole brand new day. There's a whole new week. It's just started. And guess what starts this week? This is a new era. This is the dawning of a new age. You know what it starts with? Resurrection. Changes everything. A new era has begun. The resurrection is the announcement. The old is gone. The new has come. Jesus is there. Where is Jesus? Well, where do you think he is? He's in a garden. Why wouldn't he be in a garden? That's where this whole thing started. As a matter of fact, Mary thought he was a gardener. She wasn't all wrong. He is a gardener. He's tending. He's planting. He's blessing. He's nurturing. He's nourishing. He's helping his creation flourish and be restored so that that garden one day will ultimately reappear. We'll see the tree of life in that new Jerusalem designed just for God's people. Wow, everything has changed. Remember last week we talked about those two guys on their way to Emmaus, y'all remember? And they're talking and all of a sudden Jesus runs into them and they're like, Jesus says, what's going on with you? And they said, don't you know? Are you the only person on planet earth who doesn't know what's going on? Where have you been? Did you not watch CNN this morning? Did you not know that this Jesus, we thought he was the guy. I mean, my goodness, he taught, he preached. He did miracles, and we had so hoped. We, 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 we had so hoped he was the man, and they killed him. And then remember what happened? Jesus began to share with them from the Scripture who he was. Remember what they said? They said, don't leave. It's come, come, please, come in our house. They stop in their home, and Jesus comes in, and they sit down for a meal. Jesus breaks the bread, and all of a sudden they go, oh, it's Jesus. He disappears. Remember what they did? Boom. They tucked tail and ran. Remember? They ran all the way back to Jerusalem. They go in the house and Simon Peter says, guys, y'all ain't going to believe this. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They said, we know. We just had lunch with him. We know. Well, then what? Did they just go back to their ordinary old lives? Well, we need to go to work in the morning. I mean, you know, Jesus was raised from the dead and everything, but I mean, I got stuff to do. I got a deadline. I mean, I got stuff on my daytimer here. I got, no. What happened? Everything changed. You know what they thought? They thought, oh, buddy, this is it. We're about to go into Jerusalem, and we're going to spank those Romans. What are they going to do to Jesus? Kill him? Like, that's going to work. He's already come back from the dead. That's going to freak them out. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, no, I've got a job for you. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to give you my spirit, and then I want you to go and tell this story. And I want you to tell it to the ends of the earth. Now, come on, y'all. That's 2,000 years ago. You know where Arlington, Texas was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said that to that small group of people? Ends of the earth. Lo and behold, this gospel has made its way to the ends of the earth. Do you know that Christianity is the only religion present in every country on this earth? Every country on this earth has an expression of Christianity. only religion it's made its way across the whole world. That's what Jesus said it would do. Jesus said, take this story. Tell this story. You know why? Because this story changes everything. Wow. So with that said, let us just do a little quick theology in 1 Corinthians 15. Is that all right? Just real quick. If you're still, y'all still with me? Let me do this real quickly. Take all that in. Think about heaven. Think about this story. What's in our future? 
Well, let me just walk you through what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. What's our current reality? Here it is. We're living in mortal bodies destined for death and decay. Isn't that a positive, optimistic word right before you leave here and go have lunch? Here's what I want you to know, though. It's the truth. Some of y'all in this room are really young. You have no idea. You have no idea about this body. You think your body, you think you got it going on. Some of us used to have that very same thought, didn't we? Guess what we have now? We got handicapped parking spaces everywhere. Don't we? Walkers, wheelchairs, Dr. Goodman. We got canes. We got physical therapists. We got insurance agents. We got nursing homes, skilled nursing centers. We even have funeral homes. You know why? Because let me tell you about this body. This body is decaying, and this body is destined for death. Now, this body's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. This body's awesome. Matter of fact, it's a glorious expression of the incredible artistry and wisdom of God. Is it not? Our bodies are awesome. Science, they can't do it. They can't even make an ankle. Y'all notice that? They can't make an ankle. I mean, everybody that I've ever known who has an ankle injury, you know what they tell me? They say, well, my doctor said, you know, man, ankles are really hard. We can't make one. Seriously. Millions of dollars, all this research, and you can't even make an ankle. God can make an ankle in his sleep with both hands tied behind his back, and you can't even make one. God's made one for everybody. Walk on it every day, take it for granted. I was telling somebody the other day, man, injured my ankle. My doctor told me that's a complex joint. Dang right, it's a complex joint because God made it. And you can't make it. Isn't that interesting? This body is awesome, y'all. I love this body. You know I've lived every day of my life in this body. I I promise you, I have. I've not lived a single day without my body. I really haven't. Every day I wake up, there it is. I've got this body, follows me everywhere I go. You know why? Because it's me. This is my body. You see Dennis Wiles. You know why you know you see Dennis Wiles? Because you know this body. I'm in this body. This body is me. What do you think is going to happen to it? Well, guess what this body's going to do? If I live in it long enough, what's it going to do? It's going to die. It's going to run out. It's going to give out because that's what bodies do. Now, however, while I'm in this body, I've got an assignment. And it's not just to take care of this body. I'm trying to do that. I'm telling you, I drink a Mountain Dew almost every day. I'm doing my part (laughs) to keep this thing well-oiled, okay? I'm doing what I can do. But guess what else I'm supposed to do? We're supposed to bear God's image in this body. Reflect God's glory as we live our lives in these mortal bodies. These bodies are deteriorating, yes, but God has given us an assignment. Look back at verse 49. Paul says, and just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, that's my body, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That means Jesus is supposed to be on display in me. That's right. That's my goal. That's my job. That's my assignment. Wherever I go, whatever I do with my life, Jesus is supposed to be on display in and through this body. People want to know, what was Jesus like? Let me show you. This is what the people of God do. This is the way we talk. This is how we act. This is the, this is the kind of how we have conversations. This is how we deal with issues. This is how we take care of people. You know why? Because Jesus is in us. And so we engage in our lives every day reflecting the very glory of God. But I'm in a body that I know is destined, if I live long enough, for a cemetery, just like everybody else's. Here's the good news, though. Here's our future. 
our future reality according to the teaching of this text is that death will be defeated. Hallelujah. Death will be defeated. And we will live victoriously for eternity in our resurrected, glorified bodies. See, that's where we're headed. Koima is the Greek word. Koimaterion is the uh, noun. We get an English word from it, cemetery. You know what it means? It's the sleeping place. Paul says those who've fallen asleep, those who've fallen asleep, those who've fallen asleep. The Christians referred to where they buried their dead as the koimaterion, the, the place where the Christians were sleeping. Well, why did, they, why did they say that? Why did they call it a place where Christians were sleeping? Because does that mean Christians have no existence in eternity right now? No, it's a reference to the temporary nature of sleeping. Christians said when we bury the dead, it's like them going to sleep. What's your thought? If someone's going to sleep, what comes next? You know, the sermon ends and you wake up, right? That's how it works. You, you go to sleep, this stops, you're awake. The theology behind that was the Christian said, when we take somebody to bury them, we plant them with hope in our hearts because it's like they're just asleep. Because one day, the trumpet is going to sound. And when the trumpet sounds, this perishable, mortal body, as fascinating as it is, as incredible as it is, it's going to be changed, Paul says, just like that, just, just when you bat an eye, and guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a brand new body. You're not going to be some disembodied spirit in eternity. No, you're going to get a brand new resurrected body that God has uniquely designed for you for eternity. And guess what? Everybody will know who you are. You won't have to wear a name tag. Hello, I'm Dennis Wiles. I died. I've been resurrected from the dead. That's not what's going to happen. You will be recognizable. You will have a body. You will look like you. And you're going to be given something that will last you forever. And some people just have a hard time and they think, well, I don't think heaven's going to be like that. Well, then you're wrong. <laughs> because heaven is going to be filled with Christians, the people of God throughout history, with bodies. And we're going to live gloriously, y'all. We're going to live in ways we could never imagine. Now, we're going to put some people out of business. Okay, you just need to know that. Some people who've developed expertise in certain arenas while they're here on this earth, they will have a new job in heaven. Because guess what? Once all this happens, we won't need any more doctors. We won't have any more dentists. There's not gonna be any more physical therapists. We're gonna get rid of all insurance agents. There's not gonna be any skilled nursing centers. We won't need any policemen. There'll be no firefighters. There'll be no prosthetic people. There'll be no orthopedic people. No, guess what? They're all gonna be put out of business because this body won't need any of that. We are gonna get these glorified, resurrected bodies like Jesus had, and we will live in them fruitfully and productively in a way that we could never imagine. That's our future. I want you to think about the best day you've ever had. I mean, the most meaningful day you've ever had, the most productive day you ever had in your entire life, the day where you felt the most accomplished, the day where you felt the most affirmed, the day where you felt like, man, this, if I could be like this right here for the rest of my life, it would be awesome. And you know what that is? Just a taste of what it's gonna be like. That's all it is. You've been given a taste, kind of like going to the Lord's Supper. What do we give you at the Lord's Supper? We don't give you the whole bottle of wine. We know better than that. <laughs> what do we give you? You just get that, that's all you get. And you know what it is? It's a taste. And all it's meant is to whet your appetite. All it's there for is to let you know, man, one day, man, there's gonna be a banquet. We're gonna, we're gonna feast together one day. Right now, all we get is this. Guess what? 
all that productivity, all that affirmation, all that success, all that blessing, just imagine what that's going to be like when everything's perfect and you get to live that way forever and every day is better than the day you just had. You're going to lean into more knowledge, more depth, more understanding, more awareness of who God is and who you are every day for the rest of eternity and you're going to experience something incredible that you could really never imagine on this earth and what I want you to know, you don't want to miss it. And God has given us this story to tell. Now, real quickly, finally, so what am I supposed to be doing right now? Well, look at verse 58. I'm to live faithfully. I'm an ambassador of God's kingdom here on this earth, knowing that my investment is not in vain. It's gonna bear fruit for eternity. I don't understand how that works, but whatever I invest in right now, Whatever I give myself to right now as a person of God, it's going to bear fruit now in God's kingdom now, and it's going to be connected for eternity to God's kingdom from now on. And so my labor, my work as a Christian, putting my hand to the plow, doing what God's asked me to do, is going to bear fruit for eternity, whatever that's going to look like. Y'all, you know what we have? We have the most beautiful, most compelling story that's ever been told. And I am convinced this world is hungry for it. May you and I be faithful in living it out and telling this story until Jesus returns. May it be so. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you today, Lord, for your love. We want to thank you for the gospel, the good news. We want to thank you, Lord, that it's news worth sharing that it's a story worth telling, and that ultimately, when the day comes, when that new heaven, that new earth merged together somehow, miraculously, is only you can orchestrate. And we then are given the opportunity to live purposefully, redemptively, really, blessed by you in resurrected bodies forever. Oh, we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. But I ask you to whet our appetite Make us hungry for it and help us have a strong desire to help others find their way there also. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.